Welcome to Eastern Europe's Minorities in a Century of Change, a podcast on the history of minority experiences in Central and Eastern Europe during the 20th century. I'm Anka Filipovic, researcher at the Romanian Institute for Research on National Minorities. This series is part of the Institute of Historical Researchers Centennial Commemorations, our century looking back, thinking forward, and has been organized by the BASIS Study Group for Minority History. It was made possible through the help and support of the British Association of Slavonic and East European Studies and the Stanley Burton Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies at the University of Leicester. The study group is a forum devoted to researching minorities in the national and regional histories of Central, Eastern and Southeast Europe and promoting closer scholarly collaborations. For more information, please visit our website at studygroupforminorityhistory.com. On this episode, Andrei Kushko, researcher at the Adexenopol Institute of History in Yash, Romania, talks to us about the history of Bessarabia and its various minority communities before the Second World War. We will discuss thus about borderlands, about territories in an intermediary position, looking at different centers of political power that claim control over uh, these territories. So Andrei, welcome to the podcast. Uh, can, glad to be here. <laughs> uh, can you start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you became interested in uh, this area of history? Yes, well, um, in my case, I guess, it's a mixed story. Uh, it stems uh, both from my personal experience since I was born in the borderland that I studied for, well, over uh, 15 years now, I would say. Uh, and also uh, I was fortunate enough to follow um, a quite uh, challenging academic trajectory at the Central European University, challenging, I would say, in the positive meaning of that of this word. Uh, so uh, I guess that I can say that in my case, uh, this personal dimension uh, was happily uh, come connected to this scholarly one. Uh, and uh, well, I started my academic career, uh, if that does not sound too pretentious. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't. Well, uh, over 20 years ago, by focusing on the uh, historiographical dimension of uh, the representation of the Bessarabian Romanians in the Russian uh, writings of the 19th and early 20th century. So from the earliest point uh, in my academic trajectory, I was already interested in how uh, one of the main ethnic communities of this region was discursively constructed, as it were in the uh, Russian imperial historiography. And from that moment on, uh, somehow this seamlessly led me to uh, focus on wider processes, on, on broader processes of, uh, uh, well, nation building, uh, of empire building uh, at this periphery, but most of all uh, on the clash of several uh, competing discourses on, on, this, uh, on this region of Bessarabia. But when I'm, so this, this sort of uh, is the personal dimension I was referring to uh, okay. in that, uh, yes, I was really, uh, really interested in how uh, these dynamics of uh, ethnicity was 
was uh, constructed uh, as a discourse in the uh, during the imperial period. But uh, when I'm referring to the uh, well, uh, luck, uh, academic luck that I experienced <laughs> as a young scholar, uh, I would refer to, of course, to the very seminal and um, um, quite uh, uh, creative uh, scholarly atmosphere at the Central European University, where I, I pursued my MA and PhD degrees in the uh, early mid 2000s. Uh, and uh, again, I was fortunate enough to be uh, a part of uh, a very thriving scholarly community studying uh, the uh, 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 the, the Eurasian continental empires. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, I, I, I clearly um, understood that uh, the Bessarabian experience I was so interested in before uh, should be reframed uh, in terms of uh, a borderland, in terms of uh, a uh, territory that was an object of rival uh, projects of state building. Uh, so uh, uh, in a way, this uh, context, this scholarly context of uh, empire studies in new imperial history uh, and the preoccupation for how uh, borderlands were constructed both symbolically and you know, politically uh, framed my understanding of where uh, my regional history could fit in this a broader regional, uh, me uh, me mega regional, so to say, uh, picture, yeah. Okay, I see. So you combined your personal interest with your professional one, and uh, it uh, turned into a book published in uh, 2017, right? A book called A Contested okay. Borderland, Competing Russian and Romanian Visions of Bessarabia in the, light, in the late 19th and early 20th century. Uh, it was a book published at Central European University Press, and um, I would like to start from this question, from from this book, and ask you where is this historical region of Bessarabia located, and how was it politically constructed in the nineteenth century, and of course, why have you referred to it as a contested borderland? Yes, well, uh, to start with the end uh, of your question, uh, it should be already obvious that. Uh, I again, uh, the conceptual uh, framework uh, that I was exposed to during my PhD studies contributed a lot to my understanding of uh, how this political contestation was emerged and why exactly uh, I chose to see uh, Bessarabia as a contested borderland between two rival political centers of power. But uh, let me return to that later um, uh, uh, in, in the second part of my answer. And um, uh, to, uh, to uh, return to, your, to, your first, uh, part, to the first part of your question, uh, Bessarabia as a region actually is a quite uh, ephemeral uh, phenomenon on, on the map of Europe in the sense that this region existed as a coherent territorial entity for, well, just over a century and uh, uh, 130 years uh, from 1812 to until 1940. Uh, since before 1812, there was no clear territorial precedent uh, to the region later called Bessarabia. And after 1940, it was again split as it is today between the Republic of Moldova and Ukraine. 
So uh, Bessarabian history proper comprises, I would say, quite a brief uh, 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 era uh, in comparison to other regions of Europe, uh, which can be traced back uh, many centuries. But exactly this ephemeral uh, nature of, uh, of the region itself, again, uh, and I emphasize here as a coherent whole, um, is also a virtue for scholarly analysis. So it is both a, a, an issue, a problem, and uh, uh, an opportunity for, for scholarly analysis, because uh, this region emerged sort of ex nihilo. Uh, so it was a creation of the Imperial Russian project. And uh, uh, it, uh, even the name itself, uh, which is, by the way, ironically now widely used uh, also in Romanian <laughs> historiography and political discourse, right, right. Uh, was in fact uh, an imposition and uh, on the whole territory of the Russian imperial uh, authorities who simply lacked any alternative because of course Bessarabia uh, proper is just the southern part of the uh, re region later uh, labeled as such, comprising the territory between the Danube, uh, the Black Sea, and the two, uh, the two rivers that frame this Mesopotamia yes. of Eastern <laughs> Europe, uh, the Prut and the Dniester, right? Uh, so, and uh, the, cho the choice of name itself, uh, the name itself, the choice of the capital, uh, which is the current capital of the Republic of Moldova, Kishino, uh, uh, which was motivated strictly by geographical uh, uh, considerations, since there was no precedent, there was no important city uh, that was situated in the central part of the province that would qualify as a, as a headquarters of, the, of, of a new province, shows to what extent it was, again, uh, the, the region itself was a construction uh, uh, of uh, the Russian administrative and uh, uh, to an extent uh, literary elites. So, um, well, uh, to properly frame uh, Bessarabian history during the 19th and early 20th century during the Russian imperial period, uh, one should first say that um, there was an inherent duality uh, both in the province itself, territorially speaking, and discursively speaking. What I mean here concretely is the following. Uh, this region uh, had a very diverse trajectory in its southern and northern uh, parts, where, and northern, central northern parts, whereas the center and most of the uh, northern regions of Bessarabia were inhabited by a Romanian-speaking majority. Uh, the southern part, uh, was um, became a territory uh, of colonization. That is a territory uh, which was uh, uh, targeted by the imperial authorities as uh, a land to be cultivated, to be populated by useful, uh, you know, eth ethnic communities coming from elsewhere. Well, uh, I guess we'll talk about that uh, a bit later, but what so, I want to say now is, is that this dualism uh, framed both imperial policies and uh, the dynamics of ethnicity in the region uh, later. Uh, okay, so in terms of construction of the region, um, when Bessarabia was annexed uh, by the Russian Empire, its status oscillated between that of 
a Western borderland that is a, 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 a territory more akin to the Kingdom of Poland or uh, Finland with a um, uh, full-fledged elite with uh, presumably um, solid social structures uh, and with uh, a strategy that involved indirect uh, rule, that is the co-opting of native elites. So that is one possible scenario pursued by the Russian authorities uh, in the first decades after the annexation. But on the other hand, because of this colonizing drive that I mentioned, especially in the southern parts, and because it was associated with uh, the civilizing mission of the Russian Empire, uh, the region was also perceived alternatively as part of New Russia, Novorossiya, uh, that is the regions uh, to the east of the Dniester River, uh, the North Pontic steppe, basically, that was the object, the preferred object of uh, uh, colonization uh, with, um, uh, with uh, settlers invited from abroad, uh, starting from the reign of Catherine II. So in a way, during the first half of the 19th century, especially until the 1830s, uh, the, so during the first two, three decades <laughs> after the annexation, the Arabia was constantly oscillating on the mental map and also on the political, uh, you know, uh, map of devising governmental strategies was constantly oscillating between its status as a western borderland as uh, a region that was that could in principle be treated as uh, more developed than the russian internal provinces and this uh, view of uh, the, the territory as a, a space for colonization for civilized for the civilizing mission of the empire well so uh uh, this dilemma uh, was eventually uh, solved by categorizing Bessarabia as a region uh, more similar to New Russia, to this uh, region of colonization than to the Western borderlands. And it, uh, it determined the trajectory of its uh, gradual administrative, social, and political integration into the Russian imperial system. So that especially after the mid 1830s, when the Danube, uh, the Danube frontier in the American you know, uh, meaning of the word was closed from the Russian point of view, uh, especially after the, in 1834, the Russian administration uh, retreated from, uh, from the Romanian principalities, Bessarabia was gradually transformed into a more or less normal uh, Russian um, Russian province. So uh, what's happening in a way, and this is another um, possibility of understanding the history of the region in this period, is that the direct uh, gaze, the direct uh, interaction of Russian officials with this province uh, was gradually substituted by a more bureaucratic uh, approach and Bessarabia uh, slowly uh, became a, a normal, a normal uh, Russian gubernia. So that by the 1870s, it was its uh, final um, vestiges of uh, political and administrative peculiarity were just uh, dissolved or disappeared. On the on the other hand, uh, why why a contested borderland after all? So uh, it was contested politically during these first uh, two or three decades after its annexation within the Russian empire itself, between these two alternative models I referred to. But after the 1860s, 
and he, this is the main argument of my, of my book, actually. After the 1860s, it became contested symbolically and discursively uh, by the Russian Empire on the one hand, of course, and on the other hand, by the emerging uh, na Romanian nation state. And I, I argue in the book that uh, Bessarabia's peculiarity within the Russian Empire was defined by the fact that it was contested on the one hand by an imperial polity, the Romanov, uh, the state of the Romanov, the Romanov Empire, and on the other hand, by a nation state. So uh, this an, uh, antagonism, uh, at least again, symbolical, uh, symbolically speaking, uh, this antagonism between an empire and a nation state, um, well, explains to a large degree uh, how this dynamics of, um, you know, symbolic construction of Bessarabia uh, evolved during the second half of the 19th and the early 20th century, because Bessarabia was the only uh, periphery, the only borderland of the Russian Empire that was explicitly contested by a, a, a neighboring nation state. So uh, uh, it was a contested borderland in the sense that two competing political centers of power were uh, in open uh, conflict, again, diplomatic, discursive conflict, of course, not uh, military yeah. conflict, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but nevertheless, uh, were in open conflict uh, over its belonging. And uh, this is how I understand, actually, uh, uh, the notion of borderland mm -hmm. as a territory that is situated between two rival centers of political power, uh, which in this case uh, claimed it both for uh, their ideal state building projects, an ideal okay. homeland. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your complex uh, answer. So while you explore this uh, oscillating and transformative and complex process of symbolic construction of Bessarabia, you also explore the intellectual prehistory of the Bessarabian question. Uh, could you try to explain what exactly was this uh, Bessarabian question? Yes, well, I guess I would uh, first uh, have to explain why I use this term prehistory, because um, generally the Bessarabian question is associated with what happened after World War I. Exactly, that is, the interwar period. Yes, in the interwar period, of course. And this was uh, basically the prevailing uh, interpretation both in the Soviet historiography and even up to an extent in its uh, counterpart, that is the Romanian historiography and the Western historiography that emerged, of course, after World War II and mostly uh, in the 60s and 70s. Uh, so the Bessarabian question uh, in its usual understanding refers to the diplomatic conflict between the uh, Romanian kingdom, the greater Romania after 1918 and the USSR over, uh, over, that, uh, over the region after, it's, it was, after it became a part of the Romanian uh, nation state. Uh, that is the Bessarabian question referred explicitly to a series of diplomatic uh, negotiations, disagreements, uh, uh, well, and, and uh, ultimately conflicts that developed between 1918 and 1940 and culminated, of course, with the uh, annexation of the territory to the USSR in June 1940 as a result of the ultimatum the Soviet Union presented to Romania on the uh, 26th of June, so uh, 1940. So, 
this is the Bessarabian mm -hmm. question in its classical understanding. What I focus on in my book is, um, in a way, its intellectual roots uh, and the legacies that shaped the emergence of, uh, of the question itself after the Russian Revolution and uh, World War I. Uh, and I'm interested in how the categories, the vocabulary, and the, well, if you will, the discursive uh, framework that made this, uh, the, the, the Bessarabian question possible uh, and, and imaginable after 1918 emerged in the first place. And that's why I argue that the 1860s were really uh, crucial because, uh, of course, uh, the 1860s were transformative for the Russian Empire as well. Uh, it was the age of the great reforms and an age when uh, the bureaucratic apparatus really reached, I would say, a more mature stage in the Russian Empire so that we can finally speak about a modern bureaucracy that saw the population and the space of the empire as definable categories in, in an abstract sort of way. Uh, on the other hand, of course, the 1860s saw the emergence of the politically of the Romanian uh, nation state after the union of the principalities. But why, after all, uh, our audience may, uh, may wonder, why is the Bessarabian case uh, so interesting? And here is um, uh, where, where I, I think I, um, I uh, might have an answer uh, in the sense that besides being uh, this peculiar borderland claimed both by an empire and a nation state, its other peculiarity in, in the Bessarabian case was that there was very little contribution to return to the second part of your question, very little contribution from the local uh, intellectual strata, uh, uh, at, at least before 1914, before World War I, let's say. Uh, when, uh, and I call this a lack of articulation. So what I mean by this is that uh, the discourses, this, this, this discursive competition of Bessarabia, the symbolic competition of Bessarabia was actually uh, articulated elsewhere, not so much on Bessarabian soil, but elsewhere, either uh, at the centers uh, of Russian political power or in Bucharest, uh, less so in Yash, uh, in Romania, so that it was an object of two um, political, let's say, models and two political discourses that emerged outside of the region rather than inside. As, mm -hmm. yes. So you, would, you wouldn't say that the native Bessarabian intellectuals uh, play an important role in all these disputes surrounding Bessarabia? Or, uh, well, can, can we talk about the national movement in this uh, earlier period? Yes, that is a very good question. And uh, that is probably the most contentious question I had to answer in my, in my project when confronted with the traditional historiography. And I, hear, I mean here that mostly Romanian and uh, post-91 <laughs> Moldovan historiography. Um, well, my, the short answer Again, and he, uh, I, I should make myself clear here, uh, I uh, am only covering uh, the period before the collapse of the Russian Empire, that is the 18, from the 1860s to World War I, 1914, 1917. So during this period, 
Uh, indeed, uh, the contribution of Bessarabian-born intellectuals was rather marginal uh, in the articulation of these two competing discourses, the Russian imperial and the Romanian the nation-building, uh, nation national one. Why? Well, um, there are several structural, of course, factors accounting for this situation. And I will just uh, briefly uh, briefly enumerate them here, list them here rather than uh, elaborate. So uh, first of all, uh, there was a very uh, a very large degree of illiteracy in Bessarabia. So it was a very rural region. It was a region where, uh, for example, uh, taking the census of 1897, the most reliable imperial statistics, Russian imperial statistic, statistics that we have, uh, only 15%, barely 15% of the population where, uh, was urban and 85% was rural. So uh, there was a very late development of the public sphere in the province. I mean, where could these intellectuals have come from, mm -hmm. actually? Um, well, they don't, didn't have a lot of alternatives. Um, then uh, there was a very late development of the press. So the, uh, only the, in the early 20th century, we really uh, see, and before, just before the Russian Revolution of 1905, we really see the emergence of some fledgling, uh, you know, um, uh, newspapers, press, uh, and, and, and periodical press that could become, you know, the uh, sources for this public sphere. Then we have the uh, Russian educational policies that, uh, and here I would make a contrast to the, with the Habsburg case, that in contrast to the, to the Habsburg Empire, to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, had a very low efficiency. They did not penetrate the rural areas until very late and then only very partially. And that had a double effect. On the one hand, it did not actually lead to a massive Russification of the peasantry because simply they didn't have the resources, although, although they had uh, some plans, to, especially after the 1880s, to pursue this strategy. And, but second, this also led to a very um, a late development of what one would call an intelligentsia here locally. So, but, uh, so internally, internally, the situation was hardly conducive to the emergence of what one could call a, an educated stratum. Well, but on the, on the other hand, some Bessarabian intellectuals did have a pivotal role, a very important role in articulating these discour discourses of belonging uh, to Bessarabia. And here I mean the very small community of Bessarabians who uh, moved to Romania, who emigrated to Romania. And of course, even if these people can be, count can be counted, uh, I don't know, by the fingers of, well, perhaps <laughs> both hands. Both hands, okay. Uh, if we are, one is optimistic, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, but still, they did, um, they did articulate a quite coherent discourse of Romanian national belonging uh, uh, in the case of Bessarabia. They tried to put the region on the map of the Romanian national uh, discourse. Um, and they did uh, also um, con contribute to the emergence of this vocabulary I was talking about, these rhetorical uh, you know, elements that were then reused uh, in the interwar period and constantly recycled ever since. So what we, to summarize a bit here, uh, what we have is a bit of an asymmetry, or rather not a bit, but <laughs> a quite obvious asymmetry between this contribution of Bessarabian-born intellectuals who were themselves quite marginal in the Romanian context, 
to the Romanian part of this, this symbolic competition. Whereas in the, in the case of the Russian imperial um, uh, part, you know, uh, counterpart uh, to this uh, Romanian national discourse, uh, we have a very, uh, a very um, well, uh, unimpressive, let's say, contribution of the local in intellectuals. Although, just not to give the impression that there was nothing at all there, and again, to return to your question about the national movement, of course, there was an inflection point uh, when, when it started to, this politicization of ethnicity and what it, all it entailed started to grow. And this was the 1905 uh, Russian Revolution, the first Russian Revolution, when one really sees the beginnings of local attempts to uh, somehow reclaim uh, the some 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 alternative scenarios for Bessarabian uh, uh, for, for for the belonging of Bessarabia within the empire. I wouldn't uh, go as far as talk about a full fledged provincial consciousness. Bessarabia never achieved uh, something even even remotely similar to what happened in Bukovina or Galicia in terms of provincial uh, you know self awareness and so on but still one could see that there were some elements uh, of Bessarabian intellectual among the Bessarabian intellectuals who tried to think about uh, possible futures for their province within the empire uh, but on the whole of course before 1917 I would say that there was hardly any articulate national movement uh, in, uh, in, in the region, if we, by national movement, mean a real political, you know, politically um, active uh, project of, well, uh, self-identification. Because, of course, there were individuals, but these individuals uh, hardly amounted to something uh, that could have could be defined in terms of effective political action only in 1917 in completely different circumstances one could talk about the emergence of such a uh, an articulate national mm -hmm. movement okay andre thank you and going further after the uh, falling of uh, the empire um, how did the great war the first world war and the sudden change in Bessarabia's political status from that of a imperial Russian province to uh, supposedly becoming an integral part of the Romanian national state. So how all these sudden changes impact on the population? Oh, well, this is actually one of my favorite questions currently because uh, this is the project that I'm dealing with now in a way that is uh, I'm, um, trying to focus on the uh, period of World War I and exactly uh, uh, um, my, my current interest uh, is how this um, conflagration uh, impacted the local population in terms of mobilization of ethnicity mostly. And of course, in terms of how ethnic uh, hierarchies changed. Well, just to contextualize uh, very briefly, um, before I answer your question, uh, what was the ethnic makeup of this Arabia uh, when, when, when the war started? So uh, as I hinted uh, earlier, Bessarabia was already um, a multi-ethnic borderland by let's say the middle, uh, mid 19th century. And uh, besides the Romanian speaking population who, who according to the 1897 census uh, amounted to just 
less than half, let's say 47.9%, according to the census. But let's remember that the census uh, took into account only the linguistic uh, criteria, uh, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the spoken language, actually, yeah. uh, rather than ethnicity. Uh, so uh, aside from the Romanian speaking population, uh, significant uh, minorities, I'm aware of the conventionality of the term, of course, um, where um, the uh, Ruthenians or the Ukrainians, who amounted to almost 20%, uh, the Jews, who uh, constituted almost 12%, uh, the Germans, uh, with over 5%, and the Bulgarians, with over 3%, plus the Gagauz, another 2%. Uh, the Turkish-speaking Orthodox population in southern Bessarabia, uh, and some other uh, uh, less numerous uh, ethnicities like the Poles, the Roma, and so on and so forth. So on the whole, uh, and of course, uh, let's not forget the great Russians uh, as well, who, who had like uh, with 8%, they, they were, uh, they were uh, quite well represented in the bureaucracy and in the cities. So on the whole, it was clearly one of the most ethnically diverse borderlands of the Russian empire. That is why when the war came about, uh, uh, well, Bessarabia was in a peculiar situation. First of all, uh, it did not experience military occupation. And that is very important because uh, before 1917, before the collapse of the imperial regime, Bessarabia did not, was not subject to direct military action and repressive, uh, you know, uh, aspect, the repressive aspects uh, stemming from military occupations in general, aside from some skirmishes with, between the Russian and Austrian troops in the northern Khotin uh, uh, district, the northern extremity of Bessarabia. So it was not militarily occupied in contrast to the neighboring Bukovina and Galicia. Uh, in contrast to Dobroja, for example, right? So no military occupation. That is important. Maybe we'll, we'll have time to see why later. Um, uh, the, another important point, however, is that uh, Bessarabia, um, well, the majority Romanian-speaking community was perceived by the Russian authorities comparatively in rather loyal and benign terms. That is, uh, the the Romanian-speaking peasantry, the Moldavians, as they were called uh, in the Russian parlance uh, sometimes, um, um, were perceived as a loyal, passive, um, well, but on the whole trustworthy community, uh, and be exactly because of their lack of political mobilization, they were, were not perceived as a threat. The situation was completely, completely different in the case of other two significant ethnic uh, communities in Bessarabia, uh, the Germans and the Jews, or rather the Jews and the Germans, if we <laughs> you know, consider their, their, their relative weight in the population, right? Uh, I'm not talking here about the Ukrainians, that's completely another topic, uh, because the Ukrainian, the Bessarabian, Ruthenians, Ukrainians, Rusins, variously labeled, uh, were of course perceived as part of the Russian nation uh, at that time by the Russian authorities, uh, given that the so-called uh, big Russian nation composed of three components was the officially sanctioned uh, view of the Eastern Slavic population, let's say. Well, uh, so the, Ger the Germans and the Jews were the most heavily affected by these changing ethnic hierarchies uh, during the war. The Germans, for obvious reasons, more or less, because they were perceived as the, you know, the epitome of enemy aliens, this new category that emerged uh, now, uh, in, in that period and that, uh, that labeled all the 
ethnic uh, communities that were not perceived as loyal and trustworthy by the regime, and especially those of the belligerents that shared an ethnic uh, you know, uh, origin with the belligerents, with the adversaries. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, the Germans um, were primarily targeted. Uh, why the, this is important? Because the Bessarabian Germans, uh, the colonists that settled Southern Bessarabia in the early 19th century, were hardly politicized before the war. So they, they only started like, sort of um, entering the world of mass politics. And what the war did was massively accelerating their politicization, exactly because of the exclusionary uh, strategies and the persecutions um, that the Russian authorities uh, started to target this community with. So it became, uh, and uh, just uh, for our audience, it would be uh, important to understand that these were agricultural settlers. They did not have any, well, proper urban uh, you know, settlements in Bessarabia. We are talking about agricultural colonists here. That's why, uh, uh, well, they had some educational establishments, they had uh, an established church, but they were hardly you know, uh, disloyal to the Russian empire as a whole. On the contrary, they were perceived as quite uh, very, very trustworthy subjects of the empire before the war. And now suddenly all that changes. And uh, there are confiscations of their landed properties. It's true, not completely. Uh, I mean, they, they, they were not massive, but they were affected. Uh, some of them even were deported. Uh, some of them, uh, became uh, politically aware because of these, uh, um, you know, changes. But on the whole, uh, their status completely shifts from a loyal community to an enemy community. And they, when they exit the war, as it were, they are completely different as a community from uh, from the way they were before before the conflagration. Mm -hmm. The Jews, even more so, because the Jews, of course, did not have. Uh, in contrast to the Germans, did not have a smooth relationship with the empire at all. I mean, they were uh, subject to heavy restrictions, of, as, uh, as is widely known, especially after these 1882 temporary rules on uh, the settlement of Jews in the Russian Empire. They were restricted from all kinds of political and economic activities, especially in the countryside. So the Jews were, of course, not to speak about the pogrom, the 1903 pogrom, which is, you know, which is why Bessarabia was, is mostly known outside the region even now. You know. So uh, uh, the, the Jewish question with all the required uh, quotation marks. Quotation and, marks, and, uh, yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, as it emerged in the early 20th century was perhaps one of the hottest issues in Bessarabia. And, and, and again, uh, this, it reflected uh, in the region in miniature the broader processes uh, regarding the Jewish community in, in the empire as a whole and beyond. So the Jews were likewise targeted as, as a disloyal community. Um, they were, uh, the Pale of Settlement was, as we know, uh, disbanded, dissolved during the war, partially, partially because of in, uh, the intent of the Russian authorities, partially because simply uh, it was part of the war zone. So it was, you know, and of course, what I mean here are, uh, is especially that during the war, the Jews were uh, subject to massive uh, displacement uh, deportations by the Russian military authorities. Uh, yes, the Bessarabian Jews were not so massively affected as their brethren uh, further to the east, uh, 
and to the north, because again, Bessarabia was spared the military operations, but the life of the Jewish community changed forever. Uh, and it was, you know, um, uh, it was uh, uh, destabilized massively here as well. So, so I guess that uh, these two communities, the Germans and the Jews, are probably the most um, clear, the clear, the clearest um, example of how the war, due to its changing ethnic hierarchies, simply uh, shifted completely. Not only the ethnic makeup, uh, not so much maybe in that period in Bessarabia, but especially the ethnic hierarchies, the ethnic structures, the ethnic relations within the region. Yeah. Um, okay. At this point, uh, can we identify any continuities? or discontinuities between the imperial and the national regimes regarding ethnic communities and inter-ethnic relations? Or in other words, did Greater Romania perpetuate or attempt to break from imperial Russia's legacy of uh, governing what was still a multi-ethnic society? Oh, that's a challenging question. Um, well, so, uh, again, one should clearly delineate here the rhetorical level and, so to say, the, uh, well, uh, reality of, of well, although I don't like that notion too much, uh, the actual dynamics of inter-ethnic relations in the region. Rhetorically, of course, uh, Greater Romania uh, was at great pains to dissociate itself, I mean, from the Russian imperial legacy. Um, and... Uh, Indeed, uh, there are probably more, uh, you know, uh, in, in the sense of uh, concrete uh, ethnic hierarchies, more ruptures than continuities between uh, the uh, Romanian uh, nationalizing uh, state, Greater Romania, and its uh, predecessor, the Russian imperial regime, in the sense that, of course, the ethnic hierarchy shifted drastically. Uh, the uh, Bessarabian Romanians, the Romanian-speaking population were perceived as part of the national community, although a very problematic part, nevertheless. But still, they were part of the dominant national community of the state. And of course, they had to be uh, sort of uh, redeemed. They had to be re-culturally re-Romanianized after, in, in the perception of the Romanian state after this century of Russian domination. But still, they were at least theoretically, the privileged uh, population of the region. Now, uh, uh, needless to say, the Russians and the Ukrainians had a drastic you know, a reduction of their uh, status as, uh, as ethnic communities, uh, although it's much more complicated than one could um, uh, imagine if one follows the rhetoric or the, 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 of, of Judeo-Bolshevism very you know, uh, widespread in that period, because the Russian community itself was far from monolithic. I mean, not all the Russian speakers in Bessarabia were communist sympathizers, as we know. But of course, so all these, yes, well, there were a lot of white <laughs> refugees who came to Romania in this. But of course, the rhetoric and the association of Russia with Bolshevism did indeed have a very important impact on how the Russians were perceived. Uh, and uh, the Germans, again, as I hinted, were much more ambiguous, um, you know, <clears throat> uh, targets of, of nation building, they were, they apparently had a much more, um, a much smoother relationship with the Romanian state uh, than other non-Romanian ethnic communities, but still even the Germans had some grievances. So 
on the whole, not to, to go into too many details here, on the whole, of course, there was a, a very sizable shift both in rhetoric and in the ethnic hierarchies and, of course, in the uh, official discourse of the state. But the underlying continuities with the Russian Empire in terms of uh, the politics of ethnicity in Bessarabia were, were also apparent. And one of the most important is that you know, uh, Romania was, of course, Greater Romania was a nationalizing state. Uh, now, the later Russian Empire was as well a nationalizing state, uh, although, of course, in completely different proportions and in, completely, in a very, very different, you know, overall context. But uh, as in, in many cases of other successor states, you know, uh, in the post-imperial transition, Romania also borrowed, not necessarily intentionally or consciously, uh, borrowed some strategies of eth management of ethnicity uh, from uh, from its pre preceding regime, uh, not only in Bessarabia, of course. I mean, we could discuss about other um, regions merged into Greater Romania as well. But uh, if if so, so in these, it is this nationalizing, um, uh, let's say, underlying features that that allow us to speak about certain continuities. Uh, so just to summarize, I would say that there was a disjunction between the superficial level of rhetoric discourse and you know, ethnic hierarchies and the underlying level of deep continuities in how these elements uh, of ethnicity and ethnic uh, uh, and degrees of ethnic reliability actually were, were quantified, you know, and in this sense, one could indeed find, you know, uh, a lot of continuities. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, when thinking about Bessarabia's political and cultural development in this post-war period, um, are we describing a coherent sense of Bessarabian national identity among the general population or um, a native elite that lacked the strategy or resources for uh, encouraging some form of national mob mobilization? Well, uh, again, uh, it is a very broad question. I would say that on the whole, uh, there are more continuities than ruptures here uh, in, in between the imperial and the Romanian uh, regimes in the sense that given the very low uh, starting point in terms of national mobilization, ethnic mobilization, that the Bessarabian, uh, and especially if we're talking, we're talking about Romanian, the Romanian-speaking population, so uh, that the Bessarabian Romanians displayed before the war and uh, before 1917, one could not expect um, a coherent, either a coherent Romanian, uh, let's say, national self-awareness from this group or, and that is interesting, or the, a, a coherent uh, a regional identity either, because as I, as I hinted uh, above, uh, there was hardly any consciousness of a specific Bessarabian, uh, Bessarabian uh, identity before, uh, before World War I. So uh, in a way, uh, when Bessarabia becomes part of Romania, there, there, there aren't as many alternatives for the for the very small educated Bessarabian elite to, to you know, to uh, adhere to. To uh, and of course, uh, uh, what's happening during the interwar period is that there emerges a um, stratum 
have educated Bessarabians, educated in Romania or even abroad, uh, but you know, under the auspices of the Romanian state, uh, who are uh, promoters of uh, a, a specific, uh, uh, let's say, uh, version of Romanian identity in the province. But what's interesting is that many of these people, especially the younger generation, instead of embracing wholeheartedly the Romanian national discourse, develop sort of a regionalist um, uh, thought, I mean, uh, a regionalist tendency during the 30s, uh, before, just before the annexation to the USSR. That does not mean that they are anti-Romanian, of course. On the contrary, they internalized the Romanian national project, but they see, you know, uh, also the shortcomings of uh, uh, the Romanian nation building uh, uh, project in the region. And so they, being educated in Romania, they can uh, uh, negotiate uh, with the, their cultural, uh, uh, men, the, the Romanian elites elsewhere on a different level. So in a way, and this is a small paradox that I would like to, 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 draw, to draw the attention of our audience to. In a way, uh, they, uh, just because uh, these young, this younger generation uh, was educated within the Romanian national project, they could you know, articulate this Bessarabian regionalist uh, current agenda in a way that was not possible before the war because you know the Russians did not allow for this space to emerge while well, the Romanians inadvertently did. So uh, yes, probably there was no coherent sense of Bessarabian identity. I'm sure of that more or less, although you can never be sure of course, but uh, I would say yes, uh, given by given what we know uh, about so the, yeah so far okay. about the degree of ethnic mobilization. <laughs> But yes, but it was in the process of being somehow redefined before uh, mm -hmm. before the Soviet Union uh, stepped in. Okay, uh, but let's look at this uh, topic from the other side of the boat. Uh, how was Bessarabia perceived by the nationalist core in Romania, since nationalism was the main political op option for um, interwar elites in, in Romania? Yes, well, uh, uh, during the, uh, you know, uh, during the 19th century, and that's very important to understand the backstory of this, um, Bessarabia was rather marginal uh, in the uh, hierarchy of uh, Romanian national priorities. I mean, it was uh, not only was it less important than Transylvania, which is kind of obvious, but it was also less important than Bukovina, the neighboring uh, region uh, of the former Moldavian principality, uh, part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Uh, so this marginality that was very, very obvious and was hardly compensated uh, for by these uh, several uh, Bessarabian intellectuals that I was talking about earlier, uh, spilled over uh, also in the interwar period. Only it was complicated by the fact that, again, uh, Bessarabia was perceived as an unstable periphery because of communist agitation. Again, this myth of Judeo-Bolshevism did not help at all. Uh, Bessarabia was perceived as a hotbed of, uh, you know, uh, maybe not resistance, but uh, anyway, disloyalty, let's say, uh, coming mostly from non-Romanian uh, speakers, but also part of the Romanian population. So that is why uh, it was sort of um, always uh, seen as a problematic province. 
uh, what did not help was that it remained quite rural. It remained, although there was some, well, there was some progress in terms of literacy, it remained the, mo the most, the least literate uh, region of Greater Romania. Uh, so there was, you know, uh, there was a double discourse to, to be to summarize to, to, to summarize somehow. On the one hand, there was this discourse of authenticity, national essence, uh, you know, tradition uh, that goes back, you know, to Yorga and even much further, of course. Okay. And in this sense, better, the Bessarabians were seen as these authentic Romanians, unspoiled by modernity and so on. Uh, but on the other hand, at quite, you know. Uh, at the same time, simultaneously, there was uh, the, the discourse of an endangered region, of a region that was somehow still not free from the Russian uh, uh, sphere, whatever that meant. Uh, it meant different things to different people, and a region that was never uh, fully uh, included into the national core. Uh, so, and this ambiguity was very important to understand what happened later, even during the war, and of course, also during the communist period in very different circumstances. So, yes, I would say ambiguity and, mm -hmm. you know. Okay, so um, moving into recent post-Cold War history, um, when you look at the current borderlands that have emerged within the former Soviet space, do you still see the Republic of Moldova as being a geopolitically gray area? Well, the short answer is probably yes. The very short answer. Yeah. Um, because, yes. Uh, why? Because uh, the Republic of Moldova itself, uh, first of all, it should not be conflated with Bessarabia, of course, uh, which is done again uh, unconsciously, again, by many people who do not realize the complexities of the, the geography and the uh, ethnic makeup and the geopolitics of the region. The Republic of Moldova in its current form is a completely new entity uh, in the sense that Transnistria, for example, which is a heavy element uh, in, in defining this grayness of uh, uh, Moldova's geopolitics was never a part of Bessarabia. I mean, it was uh, completely, well, completely anyway. A separate uh, re regional entity for before 1940, but yes, it, it is still a gray area because the, leg the legacies of empire matter, and they do not matter, you know, automatically or in a in a, in a uh, crude fashion. They matter because they frame, and that was I to, to return to my book. That was in a way what I was trying to show through this intellectual prehistory that uh, they matter in the way they frame arguments. They matter in the way how people think about uh, the reality around them. And uh, that is why the Republic of Moldova, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, maybe now a bit less so, but for reasons that do not have you know, anything to do with uh, uh, change in geopolitics, rather the way the, with the processes that are underway here in this, uh, on this territory. It was, uh, it was, uh, so the Republic of Moldova was uh, contested internally, let's say, by two uh, state building projects. Again, the Romanian, uh, pan-Romanian national project that argues for the eventual unification with Romania, which was um, uh, in a minority, uh, of course, uh, within the whole uh, population as a whole, but it was very pr present in the public sphere because it was dominant among intellectuals after 91. And of course, uh, its opponent was, you know, a very blurry continuum of 
uh, nostalgic, <laughs> uh, I would never, uh, you know, autochthonist, uh, pro or not so pro-Russian, but anyway, anti-Romanian, let's say, um, uh, defi definitions and, cons uh, and, and views of the identity of the local uh, population. So although I, I would say that this, uh, this um, antagonism has somehow receded in the last several years, uh, it, does, it still structures the, the political imaginary of, of a major part of the politically active population. And it also, uh, as in uh, other republics, uh, states of the so-called post-Soviet space, which I think is an increasingly irrelevant category nowadays, but still, it still uh, determines what side of the political spectrum one sees oneself, uh, you know, uh, uh, oh, uh, you know, as a part uh, on what side one sees oneself in this political, uh, yes, uh, <clears throat> conundrum. Mm -hmm. And uh, not to say, of course, that uh, since we are now living <laughs> through a quite tense period in relation to Ukraine, I would guess that this, uh, these cleavages might reactivate here in Moldova as well, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, quicker than one could, uh, could imagine several years ago. Yeah. Um, finally, uh, after all this uh, wonderful talk, where can people go uh, to learn more about uh, the history, the histories of Bessarabia? Well, okay. Um, there are not so many books that address uh, the Bessarabian history, I would say, in a complex manner, not to uh, say that there, there is nothing. Of course, uh, <laughs> during the last 30 years, much has been written. So just a, a several quick references, I would say, that could help uh, interested readers to... Yes, please. Uh, to enter this topic, yeah. Uh, well, one of the most uh, useful surveys is still Charles King's book, uh, although it was uh, published more than 20 years ago. So Charles, Ki Charles, Charles King's book on uh, the cultural politics, the politics of culture, uh, Russia, Romania, and the politics of culture, it's called, uh, which traces the origins of this failed nation-building nation uh, project in, in, in uh, Moldova, and Moldavia, Bessarabia, and so on. Uh, although he focuses mostly on the 20th century, uh, his survey uh, is quite valid for, for what came before. Now, concerning the minorities, so-called so minorities, uh, non-Romanian ethnic groups, I will still recommend um, the works of Mariana Hausleitner on uh, the Jews and the Germans, uh, which are also, um, which have, have been published, well, 10 to 20 years ago, but that's still quite reliable, I would say. And um, also, um, Yes, uh, on um, the uh, concerning southern Bessarabia, there has been there has been a recent work uh, dealing with ethnicity in southern Bessarabia by Simon Schlegel, uh, which uh, uses more of an I would say anthropological lens, but still is quite interesting as a, you know um, an approach to to this. Uh, a dilemma of ethnicities in southern Bessarabia, which, which is probably the most interesting region uh, uh, within this territory. And also uh, for this transition period we were talking about, I would definitely recommend the works of my colleague Svetlana Soveika, 
who addresses both the issue of ethnicity and, but more interestingly, how this transition from an imperial to a post-imperial order affected uh, the elites and the, uh, well, in a way, the common, uh, the common uh, people of, the, of this land as well. Uh, these, is, these are just several recommendations for strictly for the period we have been talking about. Uh, so uh, I think as an initial, uh, yeah, an initial reading material uh, that they could be rather useful. The list is open, right. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you so much, Andre, for joining us and uh, for having this uh, fruitful discussion. Thank you very much for having me.